As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. If you're listening to this podcast, I know you're a diehard hockey fan. Well, the NHL is back. Sports is back. Now's your time to subscribe to The Athletic and save 40% off. Don't miss exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Hub cities in Edmonton and Toronto. We have 24 hockey writers ready to just cover this thing from head to toe. Highly recommend now you subscribing and reading. You could save to 40% off. Sign up now to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart from all other outlets. And if you go to theathletic.com slash straight from the source, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. Sports are back, and you won't want to miss breaking stories on your favorite teams. So go to theathletic.com slash straight from the source for 40% off an annual subscription. We hope to see you there. Midnight on the interstate And I didn't feel so great Until I saw the city Welcome back to Straight from the Source with Michael Russo. Uh, very happy to be joined by our prolific Vancouver Canucks writers, Thomas Drance and Harmon Dial, all the way over on the West Coast. Uh, Thomas, first of all, how the heck... Are you driving to Edmonton? Haven't you ever heard of an Air Canada flight? <laughs> I'm going WestJet? pure. Uh, no, I'm going pure pandemic style. I'm driving up through the Rocky Mountains, staying overnight in Jasper. Beautiful wow. hiking there, Mike. And then, uh, and then I'm staying in an Airbnb. I'm not even staying in a hotel. Like I'm going pure, you know, isolation travel. Uh, pure isolation, sort of functioning as I w- go into the bubble as a group five, at least for the games, or, or at least for the games where uh, I'm able to go into. Wow, that is just, it's just nuts to me. I would be so looking forward to getting those Delta points right now on WestJet or <laughs> those Marriott points at a Westin after months of ch- not traveling. This is this is how you know that I'm just like the, the, uh, the hockey writer that's been doing this for a long, long time and you just don't care about your points. No, I don't. Uh, You know what? More than that, more than that, it's that I'm going for 66 days. So what I really wanted was a kitchen and a laundry. You know, like uh, points, points for most are vanity for me. And I just want to make sure I'm pressed and looking sharp, even if I am wearing a mask and seen by absolutely nobody in the phase four bubble. Well, we do appreciate it. Uh, Thomas is uh, one of our uh, awesome Canadian, uh, the athletic writers that is going to be getting to cover the uh, games at the actual hub in Edmonton. So you'll want to make sure that you follow him on Twitter at Thomas Drance. If you're a wild fan, you want to uh, Harmon dial two D-A-Y-A-L-2. Uh, he'll be. So the way it's going to work is that Thomas is essentially covering the entire league and Harmon's going to be like me at home covering the Canucks. So you definitely want to. Uh, 
follow him. And uh, both teams, our respective teams that we cover, have left for these hubs. Uh, they they both got there scot-free, although the Wilds pilot forgot to show up to the plane, and they left about 90 minutes late. Come so, on. Uh, yeah. That's the, one, that's the one thing I forgot to put in the bubble story today is that, that everything went perfectly for the Wild yesterday except that the pilot didn't show up. Oh, so, my uh, goodness. Yeah, so they, they did make it there eventually. Um, but, uh, you know, you guys have both been covering the Canucks during this uh, very odd training camp in the middle of the summer. Uh, you know, Harmon, what, what did you see from them uh, from going to a lot of these uh, practices and late scrimmages that Travis Green had? Yeah, I was honestly surprised in a, in a positive way just with the pace and intensity of uh, of training camp and scrimmages. I mean, I think the first couple of days you could tell that um, they were slowly trying to ramp up, but uh, by the time you got to those second and those third um, sort of simulated games, if you if you want to call them, you could really tell that. Um, I think the players understand what's at stake, right? Like this isn't a normal training camp where um, you can kind of coast through the vet, like the vets often do. Um, and then you've got preseason <laughs> and then it's game one, regular season. And, and then, and then from there you start hitting the ground now in, in this situation, it's, You've got one exhibition game, and it's game one of a do-or-die playing series. So I think um, the the coaches and, and sort of just from, from top down, the team has tried to, I guess, emphasize just how crucial this training camp is. And I think you've seen um, that reflected just with the way some of the players have played on the ice. I mean, um, the, the top guys look really sharp. Uh, I've been impressed. I think the the first scrimmage was really choppy, to, which I guess was to be expected. But after that, it's been relatively uh, smooth goings when you consider just how poor the ice is uh, right now in Vancouver. So I've honestly been impressed. Yeah, it's funny that you said that about the veterans, too, because that was my, the biggest shock that I had, guys, when I watched the wild scrimmage the other day is that guys like Ryan Suter and Eric Stahl, who you usually watch in training camp, they're like in total do not get hurt mode don't give a crap mode uh they came to play in these scrimmages and it looks like that they all are going with the proper attitudes which thomas i'm sure you could appreciate is probably the biggest task right now for a veteran team is actually wanting to be there 100 percent, and that's sort of why you know harm both Harmon and i are so used to breaking down the game with a level of confidence based on our you know understanding and belief in some of the underlying numbers or the hockey analytics that we use frequently in our writing. And as I look up and size up these matchups, I feel like I have to throw everything I know about hockey sort of out the window. Like this is ultimately a make the best of it competition. And I think there's no price you can put, no weight you can assign to like giving a fuck that, that will sort of do it justice. Like that's going to be such a massive yep. difference, especially when you get into game five or game seven eliminations, you know, having a veteran group that actually wants to continue to play, I think could give a team an, like a decisive edge. So it's actually going to be fascinating. And I'm also really curious to see what the impact is, Mike, of a series in which coaches have had this long to prepare. Like we've seen how mm -hmm. coaches have figured out how to even defend three on three with all that open space. Now we're looking at a situation where coaches have had months to break down other clubs tendencies. Like I'm really curious to see if we get just a mess of one zero results in this <laughs> qualifying round. And, and certainly if that's the case, you know, when you size up these two teams, the Canucks and the wild, you'd have to think if if that preparation edge matters in this qualifying round, that's an advantage for the Wild. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, both coaches have been preparing for a long time. The Wild's coaching staff uh, led by Dean Evason, uh, the Canucks by Travis Green, who's a very smart guy because he knows pot odds. He's played in the World Series of Poker. Um, and by the way, Canucks fans, if you get confused and I tweet out during Wild games that Travis Green's on the Wild bench, the Wild actually have a massage therapist and assistant uh, athletic trainer named Travis Green. So if you get confused, <laughs> I'm just telling you right now, I, I am not losing my mind. That is the real Travis Green on the wild bench. There is another one. Um, and by the way, uh, as, as Thomas mentioned, if you want to read smart coverage, you read Harmon and Thomas. If you don't want to read smart coverage, you read me. I'm the, I write at like fifth grade, fifth grade level. And uh, I once did, guys, like I wrote a Sports Illustrated for Kids book and the editor called me up and they're like, we need you to write at a fifth grade level. And I said, well, I write at a third grade level, so you'll be fine. <laughs> I'm perfect for this. So uh, you're listening to straight. completely untrue. 
Yeah. <laughs> You're listening to uh, Straight from the Source with Michael Russo to subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash straight from the source, 40% off. Um, JT Miller, you guys wrote a really good story today about um, about the Canucks. I mean, all your coverage, as I mentioned, has been just absolutely awesome. Um, but the stuff about JT today was fascinating today. And Harmon, uh, can you talk about the, the story that you wrote today? Yeah, so I think that was actually uh, uh, Drance is specifically on uh, okay. JT. Uh, but, uh, I mean, if you're, if you're talking about Miller, I mean, just what an outstanding breakout campaign he had. And, I mean, um, just to understand sort of the context of the trade, um, when it was made initially, there was there were a lot of raised eyebrows. I mean, giving up a conditional uh, and a conditional first round pick, potentially unprotected, um, as a rebuilding squad, that's uh, that that's a significant risk to incur. And uh, for Miller, ever since he's come in, and I remember in October we wrote a piece about how he sort of hit just hit the ground running and, and was Vancouver's best forward in October. He's he's been outstanding. He's fit like a glove next to Elias Pettersson. And um, I think whereas in years past you looked at Miller as sort of like this excellent complementary top six piece, he's he's taken his game to the next level and kind of emerged as the as this bona fide uh, top line driver who can who can really dictate um, the pace and, and flow of play for for his own line and um, his partnership with uh, with Pedersen has been magnificent and, and I'm sure Drancer can expand um, just on sort of his impact off the ice as well. The um, you know it is interesting, Thomas. That I was talking to Brock Besser a lot during this uh, quote off season, and he talked about JT Miller and how much pushing that he did right in the locker room. And as as Harmon just mentioned, you know, in New York he was a very young player. In mm-hmm. Tampa, he's behind the Stamkoses and the Kucherovs, and you, I'm sure he learned a ton there right right away. But when I talked to Zuccarello about J, JT Miller, he says that right from the beginning he recognized in New York that this guy had the ability to be a leader to to really push players, and it seems like he's come to Vancouver and sort of taken control of that locker room. Yeah, and I think he's got that sort of killer mentality, as it were, when it comes to losing like I think he's a guy who's and I've asked him this point blank and he really struggled when I did like he's a guy who can't offhand tell you whether or not he likes winning or hates losing more you know he's one of those and I think that's shown I think it's come out more as he's you know gotten older but also grown in stature on a club you know this is the first time that he's like he played over 20 minutes per game on average for the Canucks played in all situations he's not just on the first unit power play he initiates almost all of the action from the half wall on his strong side like he's not just playing first line minutes he's Mm -hmm. you know a guy who often bumps around like he's a Mr. Fix-It for Travis Green if he needs another line going JT Miller will often end up there and so you know this has become it's it's not his team because there's Markstrom, there's Patterson, there's Hughes, but he's become this sort of larger than life first line power forward character. And as we know, the Wild and the Canucks cannot play a two thousand uh, a sorry a playoff series without uh, the Canucks having a bona fide top line power forward, right? Like that's yeah. <laughs> that's that must be the case. That's what they've gotten JT Miller and and you know his impact. I think you can see it like not now because we're barred from practices, but at practices like just the way. <laughs> that he skates about the ice just demolishing his teammates, right? He is a relentless chirper. Uh, You know, he cuts everyone up. Um, I think he keeps that competitive vibe pretty, like, stringing along at a pretty high frequency. And I think it's been a crucial element that this young team needed, especially as they sort of began to walk with their head a little bit more upright, right? It began to believe a little bit more in their ability to win in this league. And so now you have a, a right wing there with Tyler Toffoli. Second line, man, uh, you know, you have Hor- Horvat. Is it Pearson and Besser? Is that pretty much yep, the, uh, that's right. the second? I mean, that right away, uh, especially if Besser plays like Brock Besser, the, the way that Minnesota fans know that he could play, uh, that's two formidable lines. No question. The top six is Vancouver's, I think, biggest edge going into this series, right? The Well, that and the goaltending. You know, those are sort of the two areas that I think the Canucks need to make stand up if they're going to advance into the Stanley Cup playoffs itself. How much do you guys think, uh, and Harmon, you are, uh, you know, as I mentioned when you were on the fan with me the other day, you're one of the uh, brightest young hockey writers that we have here at The Athletic. Um, You're a smart guy, you know analytics. When you look at this, though, as a series with no fans, how much do you think the edge 
that the Wild seem to think they have with their depth on the third and fourth lines will really matter in a series when, you know, Marcus Foligno come out, can come out and put Pedersen into outer space, but you're not going to have a fan reaction in the building that's going to maybe jolt a bench. Do you think that edge is something that the Wild uh, really have, or is it going to be nullified by not having fans there? I still think that when you compare Vancouver and Minnesota's bottom six, um, it's not just the sort of physical element. Um, in, like, like I think there's a pure on-ice um, sort of advantage that the, that the Wild have in that capacity. It's not just their ability to sort of um, get the crowd going, be hectic on the forecheck, but they're legitimately going to create problems um, for Vancouver. I mean, you look at the, the Canucks' bottom six last year, for example, it was the worst in the NHL by goal differential, right? Like, this isn't just uh, a bottom six for Vancouver that's okay. It's legitimately, uh, uh, it, it's a massive concern. And and that's why it's so important for uh, Vancouver to uh, have their, their, their top six essentially needs to outscore Minnesota, I think, for them to have uh, a strong chance of advancing. And when you mentioned the crowd component, I, I have pondered that, I think, from a more general perspective. And I don't, necessarily think that it's going to uh, benefit one team over the other I just think the lack of fans is going to like the way I see it a building kind of amplifies momentum Uh, you if you're if you're the home team and you get scored on quickly like your, your your building is dead and like that seems to suck all the energy all the life out and and it seems even more insurmountable to try and claw back in the same thing if you're if you're the road team and and the opposition has their fans going and it feels like they're just coming at you in waves so i think the lack of fans component i think that's only going to impact momentum um and it'll help i think both teams maybe bounce back a little bit quicker than we might typically see in playoff hockey and there's no doubt. I mean, you look at the Wilds' third and fourth lines right now. When you when you have guys like Ryan Donato on the fourth line, who seems to uh, score every time he's on the ice, uh, and the all-time leading scorer in Miko Koivu on the fourth line, and a, a third line that has Alex Galchenyuk and Matt Zuccarello that's pretty deep when it comes through a Minnesota Wild team. How about the blue line? Uh, you know, I, I look at, at Vancouver's blue line, and that's another area where I do see a weakness. I mean, there's Quinn Hughes, obviously a Calder contender this year. But then there's like everybody else. Uh, it doesn't seem to be the most impressive top six in the league, that's for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, essentially the way you look at the back end is, um, I mean, I mean, you've got Hughes and then you've got uh, what I see is a, a collection of defensemen that are, are, are fine. They're, they, they seem to mostly be number four or five guys when you look at sort of that tier of um, Edler, Myers, Tanev, not a lot of mobility. And it's uh, why I think that, a lot of a lot of Vancouver's ability to get the puck out of their own zone and activate their transition offense is going to be dictated by how swiftly and how efficient um, defensemen not named Quinn Hughes can get the puck up the ice. And um, no question that that's a, a massive weakness, especially when you compare that to uh, Minnesota's formidable blue line. Definitely one of the uh, best in the NHL. But Thomas, give Wild fans that maybe don't watch the Canucks as much as they did during the Northwest Division rivalry, um, mm-hmm. that see a ton of Kale McCarr. Give, give them a little tutorial on who Quinn's, Quinn Hughes is, why they're going to grow to really fear him in this series. Yeah, it, you know, it's hard to really go with comparables for Quinn Hughes because I'm not sure I've ever seen anything like the way that he plays, partly because the NHL just didn't have players like Quinn Hughes playing, certainly not this young, in the past, you know, the, the guy he reminds me the most of stylistically is like late career Brian Campbell. And I don't know that late <laughs> career Brian Campbell no. like sticks out in people's brains, but he's just a guy who doesn't make the wrong play. Like he's still young and he's still slight and his defensive zone play can occasionally leave some to be desired as you'd expect. But in terms of the way that he plays with the puck and what he does to the gravity of the game when he's on the ice it completely shifts like he's a one-man sort of ice tilting mechanism and the puck just tilts and spends the entire time in the offensive zone he holds on to the puck longer than almost any defender you'll see the team almost takes no point shots when he's on the ice it's just constantly being worked into high danger areas uh his passing is like it's just wild to watch the way that he skates about 
dissects opposing defenses and it takes teams so long to recover once he's done that just because he creates so much chaos with the possibilities that are on his stick his ability to make those plays and also what he does with his feet just sort of smeagling around the ice uh, Quinn Hughes changes the game when he's on the ice and in, in a totally different way than a guy like Kale McCarr does and it's going to be really interesting to see how the wild contain him because I do think the biggest challenge from Vancouver's perspective when it comes to the Minnesota blue line is how active they are and everything the wild do offensively, right? Like there's going to be a real premium placed on how Canucks wingers get the puck out of their zone with wild defenders pinching down on them and how they sort of cut off the top as it were when the wild go high low Uh, for the wild. However, when they're matching up against the Canucks with Quinn Hughes and Pedersen on the ice at the same time, like that's a duo that, on the ice together in 400 minutes, uh, five on five outscored opponents by 17 goals. Like they really have to find a way to take those punches and not have a glass jaw that leaves them, you know, several goals down in those minutes. And I think if they can do that, then they'll have a good chance, but that's the real threat for the wild is going to be those minutes when the Canucks come at them with both Hughes and Pedersen on the ice together. You are listening to straight from the source with Michael Russo to subscribe to the athletic uh, go to theathletic.com slash straight from the source. You will get 40% off. And now is the time with hockey coming back to subscribe to The Athletic. And by the way, if you're listening to this podcast, this is a great place to uh, advertise. I'm telling you, we have podcasts everywhere. Um, and a lot of local people listen to uh, this podcast. So if you're a local business, I highly recommend going to theathletic.com slash podcast ads to uh, find out about that. And here's one word from DraftKings. The final 22 teams have made their way down to Orlando and are ready to get back out on the court. While the ending to this year's basketball season will be different than years past, there will not be a shortage of excitement. And there is no better place to get in on all the action than with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. To celebrate the return of basketball, DraftKings will have not one but two $1 million top prizes through the first two days of the resumed season. So get in on all the action now. If you haven't tried it yet, fantasy basketball is easy to play. Just pick eight players, stay under the salary cap, and pile up points for three-pointers, rebounds, assists, and more. There's no better way to put your basketball knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at $1 million. If basketball isn't for you, don't worry. DraftKings is offering plenty of fantasy golf action for this week's tournament. With millions of dollars up for grabs this week, there is no better place to have skin in the game than with DraftKings. So download the DraftKings app now and use promo code RUN to get a free shot at millions of dollars up for grabs this week with your first deposit. There's promo code RUN to get a free shot at millions of dollars with your first deposit only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Back here with Thomas Drantz and Harmon Dial of the Athletic Vancouver. Uh, Thomas is actually driving to Edmonton on Wednesday to be there for 66 <laughs> days. Harmon's a little smarter. He's uh, going to be at home like I am uh, covering this event. Part of it's got to be a little nerve-wracking to, to cover it just because you know that, I mean, no access and can't cover practices. It's going to be a lot of... Uh, a lot of uh, just watching from the arena and then going back to your uh, Airbnb. Well, yeah, it, it's definitely unnerving, right? It's going to be a totally different experience from anything I've ever done before. But I, I'm sort of trying to turn that into a positive and, and see it as a test of my flexibility and adaptability. You know, there's still going to be stories, I think, that can be told only on the ground and that's those are the stories that you know I just need to find. There's no excuses here. Uh, we've all been through a global pandemic, and, and we work for a company and, and have a mission that I think we all believe in, which is creating the highest quality sports content, uh, you know, that people are willing to pay for and subscribe for. And generally speaking, I think we've had a lot of success. And so, you know, this is just about doing my part for the company, a company that's taken good care of us through, you know, some really challenging months for not just the media industry, but the sporting industry as a whole. And you both, uh, you know, Thomas, it's it's pretty impressive. I want I want wild fans to hear your story because, uh, you know, obviously you, you covered the Canucks for a while, but then you wound up going to mild stomping grounds, the Florida Panthers as the PR person, which is why I think that you brought the Brian Campbell uh, analogy out with, uh, with Quinn Hughes. Um, yeah, maybe. <laughs> how, did, how did you make that leap and then to get back into the media business? Yeah, you know, I was assigned to cover the Wild Panthers 
Oh, sorry, the Wild Panthers. The Panthers-Islanders series. They they are having a rematch in next week, but they also played one another in the playoffs. The first round in 2016, uh, John Tavares with a true godlike performance in a six-game New York Islanders win over the Panthers. And so covered that series. The organization was obviously going through uh, some transition, let's put it tactfully. And, one of 25 uh, <laughs> transitions in the last 20 years. <laughs> Yes, they're, they're nothing if not consistent, Mike. And so, you know, I ended up making friends with some of the right people. And uh, when their PR guy, Chris Wojcik, who's going to be yep. running the Toronto Hub over the next two months or certainly six weeks, uh, departed for the league, um, you know, I had some people in the Panthers front office asking me if there were some PR people around the NHL that I liked working with. And I, I gave them some names and sort of thought nothing of it. And a few months later, they asked if I'd be interested in interviewing for the job. So I don't think I was their first choice. Uh, I might not have been their <laughs> fifth, but I ended up getting the job. And uh, look, it was two and a half years spent working with a pretty tremendous group of people and athletes. And I, I really enjoyed my time. But ultimately, I never lost that itch to tell hockey stories directly. And coming back to Vancouver has been a dream, even if the circumstances surrounding my return, especially with you know, the, the loss of my predecessor, Jason Botchford, who was a mentor to both Harmon and I, uh, you know, made for uh, a heavy heart as we sort of looked to uh, rebuild what the VIPs, which is what we call our subscribers mm -hmm. in Vancouver, um, had come to expect from our outlet locally. That's amazing. And Harmon, it, tell us about how you got your start and how you uh, how how really uh, Botchford uh, took you under his wing. Absolutely. There's uh, no doubt in my mind that um, he really paved the way uh, for me to even get to this point. I mean, I just remember um, as, a, as a senior in high school a couple of years ago, I just realized that hockey was my passion and I dabbled into blogging a little bit here and there. But um, that, that grade 12 year was really when I took it really seriously and started writing uh, weekly. And, and it, I just did it because it was my passion, to be honest. And um, I didn't expect too much to come out of it. I figured that I'd continue do, doing this on the side and, and just seeing wherever it, it would end up taking me. And um, really, it was it was when when Botchford saw some of my early work. That's when he uh, really led me to the athletic sort of uh, behind the scenes push for me, gave me the opportunity to start as a freelancer, um, and then from that point on he was so instrumental just in terms of like brainstorming ideas uh talking hockey helping me um helping me just just put out the type of work that would get me to this to this point right now where um i have the privilege of uh, of covering the canucks full time and and so i owe uh so much of of what i've been able to uh, achieve to this point uh to jason botchford and it's just something that i'm going to re remember for the rest of my life and uh, hopefully at some point I'll have the opportunity to uh, when I'm when I'm older and more experienced to, to pay it forward to someone else as well. And I think that the enthusiasm that you brought this year, uh, I mean, to me, it reminded me of myself when I was many, many, many years ago, starting out at 21 years old covering the the Florida Panthers. I remember just meeting with you in Vancouver and how excited you were to go on road trips and things like that. Um, th that to me, I mean, this has got to be a dream for you, Harmon, to, to uh, all of a sudden land at a place like The Athletic and be a legitimate hockey writer and, and paid to do your job and, and to be uh, around these athletes. 100%. Like it is, it is the perfect setup. It's absolutely a dream come true. Sometimes I joke around about it with my friends. I'm like, uh, you know, every two weeks you get you get your paycheck, and it's and it's like most people they don't like their work, and and it's like they've had to work hard for that. For me, I often joke, I'm like, I get paid every two weeks to just exist, to to, to live, to live my life, do what I like. Um, that's truly how it feels a lot of the time. I mean, uh, going on road trips. I mean, interacting with. Uh, just people all around the game. I mean, doing player interviews and and just everything about the uh, about the job so far. Um, it's I I just I, I love it. I I don't know how else to explain it. There's uh, there's something there there's there's an enthusiasm um, that I feel in in everything that I'm able to do, and um, I never take it for granted. And and I, I and and I'm just hoping that I can. Uh, 
continue on this path. And, and I think what I love the most about The Athletic in particular is I'm not uh, restricted in terms of what content I have to put out there, right? Like I can workshop the, the type of ideas I want. I can spend um, days, weeks, months on a story if I, if I want. Um, I just have so much creativity with the type of work that I'm able to do. Um, and that's what makes, I feel almost every article I do gives me some fulfillment because I'm able to try out different things. You're listening to Straight from the Source with Michael Russo. Uh, if you are a Wild fan, I highly recommend you listening to the VanCast this week with Jeff Patterson and Thomas Drance to learn a lot more about this Canucks uh, Wild series and a, a ton of podcasts on our portal that I highly recommend. The Full 60 with Craig Custance is always a must-listen. Last week's with, leaks with, last week's with Rick Dudley was absolutely awesome. Um, and this week he previews the entire NHL play-in tournament. I'll even be a guest on there to talk about the Wild Canucks series. Uh, Dapper-looking always. Uh, Patrick Sharp is is uh, um, on with <laughs> Scott Burnside and Eric Duhatchik uh, this week on Two Man Advantage. Maybe Pierre LeBrun will come out of vacation at some point to join that podcast again. <laughs> uh, Patrick Sharp is uh, uh, the guest there. Uh, Thomas Blacanix is on with uh, Art Bon and Mark Antoine Godin on the Athletic Support. That's a great name for a podcast. And uh, Islanders Kona, John Ledecky and Tim Lywicki, the brother of former. Minnesota Wild President Todd Lewicki, and uh, now the president of the Seattle Kraken. Uh, he is the CEO of the Oakview Group. He joins Arthur Staple on No Sleep Till Belmont for an update on the Islanders uh, Arena Project, which I can't wait for. Um, another thing I can't wait for is coming uh, in the next uh, day, and I highly, highly recommend Wild fans and Canucks fans uh, reading this stuff, but Thomas Drance and I have been working on a uh, look back to the 2003 uh, Minnesota Wild Vancouver Canucks series where the Wild rally back from 3-1 down for a second series in a row to upset the Canucks. There are so many untold stories. And obviously, Thomas, we want people to read this story, so we don't want to give yep. away all the good stuff. Um, but let's tease it a little bit. Uh, some sure. of the I mean, we've we've had fun reporting on this story. You've gotten a lot of the key principles in this series. Some of the villains like Todd Bertuzzi on the phone, Mark Crawford. Well, Tell us a little bit Bertuzzi. about that. Bertuzzi, Bertuzzi talking about how much he loved playing in Minnesota, right? Like he loved it <laughs> to this day, to this day, you can hear on the phone talking to him about Minnesota, like the smile sort of curl up his face as he discusses wild fans, their reaction to him and how much he enjoyed it, even enjoys the memory uh, of the hatred that rained down from, from the crowd. So uh, you know, I honestly, just there, I think it'll be worth it for Wild fans to hear uh, Bertuzzi's reaction 17 years on to how, to his love, his love for the hate that he engendered in Wild fans. I talked to Andrew Brunette the other day about about Todd Bertuzzi, and, and it's funny because he brought up the fact that Minnesotans are so Minnesotan at times that usually you don't see a lot of uh, vitriol from the fans, from the from right. uh, from Wild fans against anybody. And yet Todd Bertuzzi just somehow, you know, made their skin crawl <laughs> that series. And again, I wasn't covering the team. I, I arrived in Minnesota two years later, but I watched it from afar. And um, and Bertuzzi obviously became a villain in that series. And what's really ironic about that is a couple of the principals from Minnesota's end in that series, guys like Richard Park, Darby Hendrickson, they know Todd Bertuzzi not only from being an opponent against him, but a teammate, and they see a very different guy. So they almost laugh when they talk about the the antics that Bertuzzi showed throughout that series. <laughs> I think Todd's one of those guys who's just very Todd. And uh, and look, I'm really excited to share some of these stories. You know, there's a there's a variety of them that like are known in Vancouver. For example, Sammy Sallow, mm -hmm. uh, you know, sustained a, an infection in his foot from a uh, I think it was the laces of his skate was the original cause of it. But, uh, you know, w there's a side to that story and a, a dramatic side to that story that I don't think's ever been told uh, that I'm really excited to reveal to the world this week. Hey, Mike, we should switch and talk. I know that me and Harmon are going to be promoting this heavily on social media and, and making sure that Canucks fans are listening to. So can we get a quick scouting report of the wild and how they've looked at camp beginning with the status of Joel Erickson Eck, who I know has missed a couple practices, and I know that Canucks fans are eyeing that pretty closely, assuming that he's going to be Dean Evison's first choice to match up against the Pedersen line. Yeah, no doubt about it. And obviously, the first couple games, uh, technically, uh, at uh, Vancouver is going to be the home team in Edmonton. So, uh, so Travis Green will have last change, and we'll see 
if uh, Dean Avison coaches the series a lot like um, like maybe uh, uh, Jacques Lemaire coached that 2003 series where he just kept on throwing walls out there and walls would skate to the bench and and uh, try to get the matchup that way by just having Erickson Eck out there. The problem is Erickson Eck's not the greatest in the faceoff circle. So the problem is if you lose that faceoff, now you're you got him stuck out there in the in the matchup that you don't exactly want. But right now Erickson Eck did practice today. He practiced um, uh, yesterday as well, and it looked. Looks like what was ailing him from that scrimmage uh, last Thursday has uh, has subsided. And as, as you guys mentioned, and as you've written uh, many times here the last month, he's going to probably be a thorn in the side of a lot of these Canucks players. And he, he's not a dirty player. He's not a chirper. I wrote a really funny story back in December about I think the headline was what makes teams go lose their mind over Jewel Erickson Eck and, and from the teammates, it's because he doesn't say a word. He just gives you what, what Parisi calls this look and it just drives players nuts. And, and he's such a great skater. He's such a big, hard man. And yet he's not like, he's not just gigantic. He just, he's in perfect shape and he just is all over you. And it just drives um, opponents nuts because they can't accomplish a lot when he's on the ice and as uh, both of you guys know from being analytics experts uh, the analytics show that he's one of the uh, best defensive forwards in the NHL so um, you know he he's somebody that is going to be uh, getting a lot of ice time and a lot of matchup situations in the series yeah if he's underrated now he's got a chance to rewrite that script I think over the next two weeks and you Mike, know what's really an interesting storyline in the series guys is is that in Minnesota there's still a lot of wild fans that are never going to forgive the previous regime for passing up Brock Besser to take Yul Erickson Eck and so you know this could be one of those series where Erickson Eck maybe even uh, you know starts to get loved a little more by Minnesota wild fans if he could somehow win this matchup with the Canucks Right. And then the risk there, of course, is that Brock Besser does Brock Besser things, right? <laughs> <laughs> and just sort of twists in the knife. Uh, on the offensive side of the puck, we all know the straw that stirs the drink for the wild, or certainly did after the All-Star break, was Kevin Fiala. Uh, what, what can you tell us about Kevin Fiala's growth, not just on the ice, but behind the scenes in terms of taking on sort of the responsibility offensively that he sort of gained over the last 30 games before the pause? He became a professional maturity, uh, and he openly admits it. You know, this is somebody that that admits when he was a national predator, he wasn't exactly a pro at times. Had a lot of tough battles with coincidentally Dean Evison as his coach in Milwaukee. You know, this was a European player that was drafted high by the national predators. He came over to the United States and. I think that, like a lot of Europeans, came here and expected to be in Nashville's lineup right away. But there were a couple teams that are perennially um, the New Jersey Devils back in the days where Lou Lamorello was running them and David Poyle for his entire history in Nashville. You have to earn your stripes in the minors no matter who you are. I mean, even Philip Forsberg spent time in Milwaukee. So, you know, he went to Milwaukee and didn't want to be in Milwaukee. And there was a lot of tough love and a lot of fights with, uh, with Dean Evason. And had a lot of growing up to do. Had a 20-goal season. Um, and then winds up here in Minnesota. A lot of responsibility and pressure thrown on his back by Paul Fenton when he called him a game-breaker right off the hop. Um, was hurt right away. Didn't fare right away well with Minnesota Wild. Then early comes into this year. Um, had an injury in October. Was scratched a couple games by Bruce Boudreaux. And it took him a while to get going. But man, once he did, he absolutely turned into the game-breaker that Paul Fenton advertised him to be. He was absolutely unbelievable. Really from about Thanksgiving on for the Wild. He had a little lull there in the winter time but then uh, once he came back from the bye week he was absolutely awesome 14 goals 12 assists in his last 18 games and um, scored the last goal fittingly for the wild in overtime in Anaheim and just uh, was just dominant every shift it was is for the first time since the days that I covered Marion Gabrick I watched a player that every single time he was on the ice you noticed him you saw a player that wanted to make something happen, and that's something that Wild fans have lacked uh, the ability of seeing since really the uh, days of Gabrick. Mike, when I look at the series, one of the key battles that I see, arguably one of the biggest disparities between the two sides, comes on the goaltending front, of course. Um, you look at Vancouver, they're uh, a really loose defensive team that allows a lot of chances, and they were bailed out on many occasions by Jacob Markstrom. And then on, on the flip side, you have Minnesota, a very stingy team, uh, doesn't give up a whole lot through the slot, um, is really tight and, and buckles down pretty well, but they've been really permissive um, just from the goaltending 
losing front. Uh, when you look at that tandem of Alex Salok and Devin Dubnik, who do you think now, especially that uh, Kapo Kakunin is is his coming up is coming up and, and he's joining the Wild too? How do you view the goaltending situation playing out? Who do you expect to be the game one starter? Um, and is there a chance that we could see uh, Kakunin in, in the series? I think there's a chance. I think Stalock's the game one starter. Um, I think it's the right message to send. He's looked. He's done nothing in camp to say he doesn't deserve to be the number one. I think the big storyline coming into camp when we were talking about who was going to be the number one was what if Stalock came back in camp and looked like me. You know, <laughs> you know what if he gained like 50 pounds and all of a sudden couldn't stop a puck? Now who do you start? But Stalock's come in in great shape, and he looks like he's uh, hasn't missed a beat from the guy that we saw win 20 games and go 11-4-1 down the stretch. And he's so popular in that locker room. He's one of the best play uh, puck handling goalies in the NHL. And so he really helps the wild defense out as well. And the problem with Doobie is is just like his game has not been nearly the same the last two or three years. And, you know, as, as you guys both know, I'm sure, is that analytically the Wild give up uh, some of the fewest quality chances in the NHL, yet save percentage-wise from high-danger change, chance, chances, they are by far the worst in the NHL. And a lot of that is on Doobie. And so um, I think that, that it would just be shocking to me if we don't see Stalock at least start uh, the series. Again, the team seems to play harder in front of him, play well in front of him. Um, and then in terms of Kakinen, I mean, that's going to be the big question. If all of a sudden Stalock suffers a bad loss or got hurt, gets hurt or something, um, Dean Everson will have a tough, tough decision to make. Um, and a lot of it might be even uh, dependent on what management tells him to do because, you know, there's been a lot of speculation here in Minnesota that there's a chance that Bill Guerin might at least consider buying out Dubnik in the offseason. And if that is at all possible, you might not want to play him at all in this series and risk a potential injury because obviously then you can't buy him out. And again, when you talk about, um, and, and, and Thomas mentioned this earlier, one of the the key cogs for Minnesota is they create so much offense from the back end. And I think um, when I look at Minnesota's roster on the blue line, um, arguably the biggest X factor for that um, is Matt Dumba. And, and when you look at the past couple of seasons, he, he in 2018-19, um, suffered through a little bit of injuries, uh, didn't put up a ton of points this year, but we know he can absolutely rip the puck. Um how has he kind of navigated the past couple seasons coming back from injury and um, where do you expect his game to be at heading into the series? I think that if anybody uh, that this break has helped, it's probably Matt Dumba because it's almost like a new season for him. He needed last season and he was starting to play well down the stretch, but this is somebody that was coming back from major, major injury. I mean, he was off to a absolutely scorching start two years ago 12 goals and I think 32 games was on pace for 30 which only three or four defensemen have done and since the early 90s and um, all of a sudden he gets into a fight with Matt Kachuk at home uh, in retaliation for a hit that he had the previous week on uh, Michael Backlund and he tears his pectoral muscle misses the rest of the year has a lot of setbacks in his recovery multiple surgeries because of infections and then comes back, and I think he just expected to be this 30-goal on-pace guy again, and it just didn't happen, and it really had a tough go in the early going. It really affected his defensive game, and then fun suddenly he scored his first goal of the year finally, and he started to play better and better. But you're right, I, you know, he's a very important piece to this team because I don't think you want to play Suter and Spurgeon you know, 30 minutes a night in this series. I think you'd like to even out the top two defense pairs and knowing that you could throw out Brodeen or Dumba, uh, Brodeen and Dumba or Suter and Spurgeon, whether it's against that uh, top Patterson line or, or the Horvat line. And so that'll be, I think, a big, big key in the series. And that's where the Wild have to be really good. I mean, the way the Wild win games is to forecheck the heck out of the puck. And for them to forecheck the heck out of the puck, they're going to need their blue line to get on the transition and do what they do best, and that's get that puck out of their own end and into the offensive zone, join the rush at times, and, and be, uh, be offensive. And uh, if they do that, I can see the Wild winning this series. Let's go with just one more Wild question, Mike. The series shapes up so that you're going to have games on – August 2nd, 4th, 6th, and 7th. So that's four and five, or sorry, four and six, four games, six days to sort of settle whether or not one of these teams is a playoff team and one of them is not. And you're looking at teams where one is relatively young, especially their key players, and one is relatively old, especially their key players. 
How do you think that sort of difference between the two will play itself out, especially with this level of scheduling density to open the qualifying round? Well, you know, it's a great question because uh, because I will say, you know, the Wild in February, I thought one of their better games was in, in Vancouver, and that was a fast game, a hard-hitting game. I, Vancouver worked their butts off that game, and the Wild were able to figure out a way to come back and win that game. And that was a tired Wild team at that point. Uh, they were starting to get a little mojo back in their game after after the coaching change. Um, but that was a team that, that was really, I mean, played really terribly in the game before in Dean Evison's home debut against the San Jose Sharks. And I thought were pretty much... Um, pretty much uh you know on on the skids there for for a big portion of that month and um there's something about Vancouver that gets this team playing well it it just always happens and so now all of a sudden you have four or five months off a lot of these tired bodies get uh some rest guys like Eric Stahl who really needed it Miko Koivu who was playing hurt at the time maybe Devin Dubnik if he gets into the series um, a guy like Zuccarello, who really had a poor first year with Minnesota, now all of a sudden they can maybe get some get, get some fresh legs under them and in a short series, do some damage. And in a short series and a five-game series, um, anything can happen. If Parisi looks like the Parisi that he did at the end of the year and in the Parisi that he's looked like in camp, if Fiala is the star that he turned into, one of the best players in the NHL in that final month of the season, um, I think Vancouver's got their, you know, got a real tough combatant on its hands. But if Vancouver all of a sudden looks uh, like as dominant as they can be from the top two lines, that, that will put a lot of pressure on Minnesota. So it's going to be a fascinating series to watch. Indeed. No doubt about it. By the way, I, I love how you know, it is interesting that their league is now calling all 24 teams playoff teams. The one team that I was thinking that's going to just uh, take that to the bank is the Florida Panthers, by the way. <laughs> yes, one would expect. And yeah. uh, and it'll be when you haven't won a playoff series in 24 years and you've, oh. you've missed the playoffs for as long as they did after the year 2000. They're going to be just oh. they might put up a banner for this. <laughs> Look, uh, end of the day, I think they've got a tough task on their hands, too. If there's one series that I expect to be a lot of one nothing games, uh, and no one expects one nothing games with this iteration of the Panthers, but nonetheless, uh, Coach Q and, and Barry Trotz coaching against each other with time on their hands, yeah, I'm expecting that to be a pretty tight check-in series. No doubt, no doubt. By the way, um, all while all uh, people listening to this podcast, uh, Craig Custance and I did an anonymous coaches poll. It's going to be out Wednesday, and there's some funny things in there, so I highly recommend uh, people reading that. <laughs> uh, final thoughts from both of you. Um, let me just throw this at you. Put you right on the spot. Name one dark horse that people need to look out for, and who is your eventual Stanley Cup uh, champ? Uh, Harmon, let's start with you. Ooh, oh, man, I haven't even really thought about this. I'd say... Um... I'd say dark dark horse is is Colorado for me. Um, I mm -hmm. look at the just the speed and the youth of that team, and over the off season, one of the reasons I was a little bit skeptical of them, and they and they absolutely proved me wrong with their additions like Andre Burakovsky, Nazem Kadri, um, Valerie Nuchushkin, and, and so on and so forth. I mean, they just built out their depth. They're no longer a one-line team. Obviously, we know what Kale McCarr has done. And again, I just think that with the youth and speed that they have, they could really, really be formidable right from day one uh, coming off of the layoff. Um, if I were to pick one team for, for the cup, I... Honestly, it feels like I pick Tampa every year, but I, I just, I don't know. I, I look at that roster and I say, how can they not get it done at some point? Um, yeah. Terrific goaltending. Uh, we know what they have up front, especially with um, Anthony Sorelli emerging as a sort of shutdown center that now frees up both the Stamkos and point lines to feast on sort of the soft underbelly of opponents in, uh, in, in softer minutes. Um, and, and I don't know, I, th that team is just too loaded for, for them to not eventually win at all. And I think after, uh, the adversity that they faced, um, getting swept by Columbus, like, I think that's the adversity they needed to sort of gain that experience, sort of buckle down and, and realize that, um, they're going to need more than just talent to win at all. Colorado's a dark horse pick now. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on, Harmon. You know, I love you, man. Yeah, you're like, putting me on the wasn't spot. Wasn't that team third in the NHL? Right when he said Colorado, I knew that. I was like, all right, that's just a being put on the spot pick. Yeah, I had like <laughs> 0.2 seconds there. 
Because Colorado's my cup. It's tough. I mean, you know, but, you know, part of it's like you could see it because a lot of people still look at Colorado as like this young team. They can't go win a cup. It's too early, you know, but a lot, but, but uh, a lot of people are actually picking them to win the cup. So it's hard to call them a dark horse. Yeah. Thomas, who would you pick? I think they're an absolute buzzsaw. The Colorado Avalanche. The only reason I'm grinding Harmon is that he picked my cup pick as a dark horse. So the, the, abs are my, the abs are my cup pick. I have to be consistent. I've thought about this a lot. I think they're an absolute buzzsaw. I love what what Gerard does defensively. I love the way that they use McCarr with McKinnon as a five-man unit. Uh, they're unbelievable five-on-five. Five. They have an offensive gear that I don't think anyone else can match, and they have enough sort of solid steel core elements to their game that I think they're going to win it all this year. Uh, the Avs are my cup pick and my dark horse pick is the Philly Philadelphia Flyers. I think the Philadelphia Flyers are going to stun people. I think they come out of the East. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting. I mean, they, their team though, that could be hurt by that layoff. I mean, they were so on fire. One dark horse. I actually think two dark horses from the East that uh, I think is Columbus. Uh, they're getting Seth Jones back. They're completely healthy now. Uh, I got to think they're going to just make Toronto's life miserable with the way that John Tortorella coaches that team. And another team is is the Islanders. Actually, uh, they were they're a good mm-hmm. team, and they were had a great they had some great dominant stretches of this past season, and then they were in an absolute funk when the pause happened. So I think the pause is yep. gonna is gonna help them uh, in the West. Believe it or not, I cannot believe I'm about to say this. Uh, I, I, I'm going to throw Winnipeg as my dark horse. If they get the goaltending wow. that Connor Hellebuck uh, has gave them at the end of there, um, they are, they're a pretty good team. I mean, their blue line concerns me, but but I, I like the the Jets. Um, kind of like uh, like Harmon with Tampa Bay and always picking them. That's the way I used to be, by the way, Harmon with San Jose. I was like going to uh, – every year, San Jose, San Jose, San Jose, San Jose. <laughs> And they, when they got to the final against the Pittsburgh Penguins, I finally picked Pittsburgh to beat them before or in my preview, and I, I uh, was kicking <laughs> myself. But I'm just I, – I, for all the reasons uh, Harmon spelled out, I, I just think Tampa Bay is going to try to avenge uh, next year. I think they're so disappointed by what Columbus did to them uh, last year that I think that they're going to figure out a way to come back. Yeah. You know what's funny? As soon as uh, as soon as uh, as soon as Drancer grinded me there for uh, picking Colorado, I quickly went through the standings page, and I was like, "Who else would I pick as a dark horse if I actually had time to to think about it?" And Thank immediately you. I was like, "Philly," and then Drancer goes out and says, "Philly." So I love that. <laughs> that Same guy. wavelength, bud. Yep, yep. Well, guys, uh, really thank you uh, for coming on. If you're a wild fan listening to Straight from the Source, I highly recommend following uh, both. First of all, go to your athletic app at your athletic website and make sure you follow the Canucks so you can read all of Harmon and Thomas's uh, stuff throughout the uh, playoffs here. But also follow them on Twitter. Uh, Harmon Dial is uh, H-A-R-M-A-N-D-A-Y-A-L-2. And then Thomas Drance is T-H-O-M-A-S. D-R-A-N-C-E. You're going to see a lot of dual bylines also uh, or triple bylines here in the next uh, week by the three of us. Uh, so highly recommend. Uh, Jeff Domet, our producer, thanks for doing your 25th uh, podcast of the day and, and uh, late at night as well. So I uh, really appreciate it. Uh, check out the comments section for each podcast episode of the Athletic app. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to Straight From The Source on Apple. If you click on the show URL, theathletic.com slash straight from the source, you will get 40% off your subscription. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.